Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? I'm rejoicing to be in Jesus, brother. It's good to be loved by Jesus. Amen. Also with us, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today, bro? Praising God. He's good. Amen. He's got a big grin on his face, so praise the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, amen. We can't wait till you guys— How about you, brother? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. (laughs) Praise the Lord, Chad. And I'll be doing even better when this gets switched over to video, which will be happening, Lord willing, very soon. So praise God for that. So you guys— uh, Well, we had one last week, right? Yes, last with, Friday. With your first, your 100th yes, show episode. The 100th episode of 511 News. Yes, the, the live stream we just did with the deconstruction of Brian. I almost Ed said tomorrow Walsh. because we're filming it tomorrow. But by the time everybody hears this, it'll be last Friday. Well, now you just ruined my <laughs> yeah. whole fake out like they've already seen it. But nonetheless, uh, excited to have you guys with us and talking about a very, very important topic and important to just get a, a starting point. And I believe Satan has done a really, really good job using um, crazy people a little bit, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would say Westboro Baptists, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they're heretical. They're not actually anybody who'd be part of the faith. In fact, it's really just a bunch of cousins and family. And yet you would think by the media that the Westboro Baptists is, you know, thousands and thousands of members. As big as the Southern Baptists. As big as the Southern Baptists, right? And uh, in, you know, in reality, that's not the case whatsoever. They really are just a strongly deterministic cult. Um, Five point point tulip, tulip, you know, and, uh, you know, not that that all, you know, all Calvinists are part of a cult or something like that, but but Which makes you wonder why they get mad at everything because it's all predetermined, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why does it make any sense? that God predetermined to happen. So, so they give us a good, I guess you would say, trampoline to jump on because we can start here and kind of move forward because you see there are signs out there, the signs that are, you know, God hates fags and all this stuff, you know, or mm-hmm. God hates this and God hates that. And in fact, you know, when I, I think about what maybe it's got to be like eight or nine years ago when Holly and I were first going out, we actually went out to go uh, share the gospel with them because they were here in, in L.A. <laughs> oh, but that's right. We yeah. saw their signs and then when we got over there, they were gone. But we still did some witnessing, so it was a it was a it was a blessing. And who knows, it could have been pearl before swine. So the Lord maybe uh, got us to go share the gospel with other people that actually would have listened. But nonetheless, I think this is really important, uh, you know, because this is a big, big problem that people, and not only Westboro Baptists. So that's just a good place to start off. Is the fact that hey, anybody who is not in Christ, God hates, is and what they're teaching. Is now. what they're teaching, and so we want to see: is that true? Does God even love the unbeliever? I mean, really, and ultimately, does God simply just hate as they, as you would understand from them, whether it's the military, they're excited or dead or, or anything, you know, 9-11, they were excited about and all, and all this stuff. Does God just simply hate that, you know, every human being right now so much that hasn't turned to him? Yeah. And, you know, when we're dealing with, uh, and that's a great question because we need to understand it with regard to our apologetics to non-believers, because many non-believers have been taught through the media via, you know, 
the five-point Calvinist Westboro Baptist that God hates everybody that's not a Christian or not one of the elect. And uh, that's and we also need to know this in the church when we're dealing with our Calvinistic brethren who have been, we believe, deluded into believing that God only loves the elect. And there's two different, uh, you know, maybe aspects. When you look at Calvinism, there's the hard, you know, hardcore uh, Calvinists that, you know, uh, I'd call them hyper-Calvinists to a degree, even though they wouldn't, many of them would say they're not hyper-Calvinists because they'd say, well, Calvin believed the same thing as well. Uh, they're the ones that are saying that, hey, God hates the the non-believer. He hates those who are not elect, and he only has love for the elect, and and uh, that's it, period. You know, and the scriptures that speak of God's love for the non-elect, well, we are misunderstanding those scriptures. They don't really teach that. Uh, and then they'll affirm different scriptures that we have to actually look at and say, hey, what is the scripture teaching here? Uh, that do talk about God hating the wicked. Although, is God making a distinction between uh, those who he knows will be saved versus those who will not? Then there is, you know, more moderate Calvinists who uh, would also, many of them would be five-pointers. And they say, no, God does love the world, you know? Some of them would even say they're four-point Calvinists or three or two or whatever, that Jesus died for the whole world, God loves the world. Uh, but he didn't choose anybody but the elect, and he could have chosen the non-elect. But their kind of love is not a, they believe that God loves the non-elect in a non-salvific way, not not in the sense of wanting them to actually genuinely be among the elect because he could just simply decree it anytime he wanted to in the eternal past and they would be among the elect. So basically uh, you have one set of Calvinists like the Westboro Baptists and many others, uh, millions of professing Calvinists that believe God has no love, not an iota, not an inkling of love toward the non-elect. They're predestined, predetermined the lake of fire and God did it for his pleasure. You have other Calvinists that say, you know what, he has common grace upon, he loves the non-elect, he he still decreed them to burn forever in hell because he wanted to will that because of his decree, even though he could have decreed them all to be saved, he just is doing this for his glory, but he loves them in the sense that he wants to send the rain upon them, Jesus causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and, and so forth. So he loves them in that way. That's and, there's, like, and there's also the evanescent grace as well. Yeah, yeah, and it makes it even more complicated. <laughs> yeah, exactly, where he, he goes after certain wicked people to make them even more down by giving them a fake grace that he withdraws from them, Calvin taught. Right, that's, that we, <laughs> that's, that's right, Chad. So it's interesting because it's like saying God is like packing a lunch for somebody before he's going to burn them forever, and that's a form of love, the common grace that he gives them. You know, hey, have some lunch. As I take you to the fire, I want you to burn him forever. It's still a monstrous view of God, and it, it's a monstrosity. It's not the, the biblical God. However, we have to deal with the scriptures that speak of God's hatred for the wicked. And But how do they fit with the scriptures that deal with God's love for the entire world? And do we jettison? And this is what tends to happen. You have non-Calvinists try to explain away, and I've seen it over and over and over again as I've studied theology through the years, and we want to be precise in our theology. And we, we and that's why a lot of people love this show is because we we try to dive deep. You know, we try to say, hey, what's God saying here? Let's think through the things of God. Let's pray to be led by the Spirit. And we do pray, Father, that you guide us and direct us to understand better yes, so we may best glorify you and best represent you. The last thing you want to do is bear false witness against God. One of the Ten Commandments is not to bear false witness. That's one that's repeated in the New Covenant uh, more than once. And the last person you want to bear witness against is God by claiming that he's not as loving as he is. So every Calvinist should really take stock and think about how they're representing God. Are you telling people that he doesn't love the world when he says he did and he does? Are you saying that he didn't send his son to die for the world when he says he did? 
This is very, very serious. The last, you know, God doesn't like to be called a liar, you know? And those who say they're without sin, the Bible says, you know, they're liars, you know? And when you say that God doesn't love the world, if he says he does, uh, then you're involved in the worst kind of lie because you're you're actually besmirching his holy and loving character. However, non-Calvinists also can give a false perception of mm. God and say, no, he doesn't hate sin. No, he doesn't hate the wicked. I saw a number of people coming against the saying, does, you know, is the saying, you know, God hates, or that we as believers should hate the sin but love the sinner. Is that biblical? And you have the Calvinists sometimes explaining that away. No, that's not really biblical, you know, because God hates the sinner. Well, the, doesn't say anything about whether God hates the sinner or not. It's talking about us, you know, uh, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Are we called to hate sin? Absolutely. Are we called to love sinners? Absolutely. So it's a biblical phrase, but and we should do a whole show on that, you know. We'll do that, Lord willing, in the future. Maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe. In fact, you know what? We'll do that next week, Lord willing. So, but now we're talking about does God hate people and does he not love the non-elect? Does he not love the wicked? Well, if you want to be precise scripturally, and that's what we need to be, is the Bible affirms both. So you have the non-elect that will deny the scriptures sometimes that God hates the wicked, and they'll try to explain the way. There's too many. I mean, there's 14 times in the first 50 chapters of the book of Acts where it talks about God's hatred for the wicked. You have to explain a lot of scriptures. So you might get to chapter 5 and try to explain that away. Then you get to chapter 11, you have to explain that away. You have to explain away. You shouldn't try to explain away anything. You should try to understand it later the rest of God's word. So, and that's what the Calvinists do with the love of God. You know, they want to explain away his love for the lost. So let's affirm both, but then, wait a minute, isn't that a contradiction? No, not when you understand the nature of God. It's not a contradiction at all. We just have to embrace what he says. And actually, you come to appreciate his holiness, that he's holy, 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 and that 1 John 4, 8, God is love. 1 John 4, 16, God is love, that he's also love. So first of all, let's deal with the fact that he does hate sin and even hates what we've become. Because he created us in his image. And keep in mind, God is thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Amen. He's not only thrice holy, but he's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly just because he is thrice holy. And therefore, he's adverse to that which is contrary, that which is wicked, that which is contrary to righteousness. He hates that which separates people from him and, and who he is. He hates people that, uh, that and the scriptures are clear. I'll give you a couple of scriptures on it in a minute, who become evil and more bear the image of the devil. Now, we still retain even the most fallen people retain some of the image of God. But uh, guess what? Many of us, well, all of us, before we come to know Jesus, we basically, that that image has been incredibly marred. marred. We become incredibly depraved to where we, you know, you know, people that are involved in violence and lying and cheating and stealing and murder, we they begin to resemble the what the devil looks like. And guess what? God hates evil. And when we become evil, he hates what we've become. But at the same time, guess what? I'm going to prove to you that even though he hates what the wicked become, he loves them even more. Okay, that's something to keep in mind. Even though he hates what we've become, he loves us even more. And regarding some scriptures that deal with uh, God's hatred, uh, Psalm 11.5 says, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Wow. Listen to Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before you. Your eyes hate all who do iniquity. Now that's heavy. Now notice this. This is important to understand. 
He says, you, now this is very important, your eyes hate all who do iniquity. Why is this important? Because my Calvinistic brethren will say often, well, God hates the non-elect, but he loves the elect, you know? So he loves the, he hates the non-elect and he has no love for them. Many of them will say, but he, or no salvific love at the very, you know, least they'll say that is, but he, but he hates uh, or he loves the elect. So it's interesting. Listen to what this says. Your eyes hate all who do iniquity. Who's that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. That's everyone. That's the elect and the non-elect. And keep in mind, before we were saved, we were all children of wrath, Paul says. Amen. Yep. We're hostile in our minds toward the things of God. Amen. Pesky word all again. <laughs> <laughs> Which our Calvinist brethren often try to yeah. explain away. Yep. So guess what? <laughs> he hates all who do iniquity. So guess what? Everyone was under his divine hatred, the elect and the non-elect. And so I think this is very, very important to understand uh, as we as we try to progress in these thoughts. And what happens is they'll go to, you know, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated. Look, God hates the non-elect. But even in Romans chapter 9, when it's dealing with those who are considered, you know, reprobate there, in chapter 11, they're not among the elect. First eight verses of chapter 11, Romans 11. But guess what? They're able to be what? Grafted, Grafted back in. Back in again. So obviously it's not a decree based on eternal hatred of a certain group of people because in Romans 2, we read that God is not partial, right? And he shows his kindness that leads to repentance to guess who? Those who reject his kindness and whom the Bible goes on to say will experience his wrath in that same chapter. So the Bible is very clear that he's not partial. He shows his kindness to even those who reject it. It's a kindness that leads to salvation. But when they reject his salvation, well, guess what? Yeah, he expresses divine hatred upon them. That's his divine wrath. You have to understand this. God's holy nature dictates the reality that that which is contrary to his holy nature and destructive and wicked, he's adverse to. Let's get this out of the way right now. You cannot confuse human hatred with holy hatred, yeah. with God's hatred. Because when we think of hatred, our reference point is, yeah, is, is just you know fleshly, you know, carnal, self-centered uh, hatred where it's, and it's bent on evil, right? Well, God is, is love, okay? And because he is love and because he is holy, that which is evil is repugnant to him. It's disgusting. It's abomination because it, he loves us. And when he sees people destroying those he made in his image, he hates that with a perfect, holy, and righteous hatred. So that helps a lot when you really think about it. It's, we're not talking about human hatred. So that can't be your reference. You have to have God the Lord Jesus Christ, who's perfect in holiness and righteousness. And when you see me, you've seen the Father. You see he loves everybody. He has compassion on the multitudes. doesn't say, and he had compassion on the elect that were in the crowd that he fed. No, he had compassion on everybody. He just loved everybody. He loved the rich young ruler, you know? Remember the rich young ruler? He rejected Jesus. He, re he refused to bow down to him. He put his money first. It says Jesus looked on him and loved him. He loved him. You know, the scriptures say that John the Baptist came baptizing, and John, I think it's around 1 7, 1 7, 1 8, and that, that all through his testimony, verse, then I think verse 8 goes on to talk about he was not the light, but he was a testimony to the light, meaning Jesus, that all through his testimony would be saved. Yet guess what? In Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it says the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected John's testimony, and thereby it says they rejected God's purpose for themselves. 
How do you reject God's purpose for yourselves? It shows you that God has not scripted this. It's not all determined. He's giving you the freedom to reject or accept. Yeah, no, I I just find that, you know, very interesting as we talk about this topic, especially you already quoted from Romans 9, but just in the beginning of Romans 9, when we get to Paul's heart, and then we could also talk about Moses yeah. as well with the golden calf. Amen. But you have men of God, right? You have the prophet Moses, you have Paul the apostle writing and, and talking about how he himself would rather be a curse yeah. than to see them not be saved, the, the Israelites that are not saved. And it's like, how on earth could we as as humans think that Paul and Moses, that they were elevated enough that Paul was so sanctified that he got to a place where he was loving the lost more than God does? That yeah. is just ridiculous to me. And, and, and that's absolutely true, Chad, especially when you think of earlier in Romans 5, where he says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Paul only has that kind of love mm. because it's yeah. the love of God. It's fruit of the yeah, Spirit, you know? So, And he says the Holy Spirit bears witness. So it's the Holy Spirit's love through him. And the Holy Spirit saying, yes, Paul, you, you have my heart here, you know? And then, of course, at the end of chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, it says they stumbled because they didn't come to, by, come to him by faith. It wasn't God's heart. God's heart was, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's heart is, I'm saying these things that you may be saved, but you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. God's heart is how often I would have gathered you together as a hen does talk about the children of Israel, you know, or, or Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would gather your children together as a hen does or chicks, but you were unwilling. That's the heart of God. So we see that he is a God who hates what we've become, but he loves us more, so much more that he sends his son to die for us. In fact, listen to John 3, 16. We all, and, and, and to me, you guys, I, my brothers and sisters, I really encourage you right now. If you're talking to a Calvinist and you're like, man, I'm a newer believer. Or I haven't really said scripture, but I'm getting into it. Man, all you have to do is go to John 3, 16 through 21. And right there, you see the heart of God in the gospel. And the, it destroys Calvinism. It destroys this idea that God only hates the wicked. And it, the, the, the big black eye that our God's been given, uh, you know, in, in, these, in these days that we live. And, and of course, the verse, but I'm not just talking about 316. Look at the context of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And by the way, the whosoever or the whoever, see, when it says God so loved the world, many of the Calvinists will say, well, oh, that means the elect. The word world there means elect. No, the Greek word there, cosmos, and as it's used throughout the Gospel of John, never means elect. In fact, uh, throughout the Gospel of John and throughout the entire New Testament, the word world never refers to the elect. In fact, we know right from the context here who the world refers to. In fact, let's just keep reading. Who's this world that the Lord loves and gave his only begotten son for? First of all, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, which would make no sense if the word world meant elect there. For God so loved the world, let's put in the word elect there. Because when we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, meaning whoever the world, whoever's willing, right? There's whoever will and there's whoever won't, right? And when you have those who, who are among whoever will in the world, that means there's those who won't, right? So listen to this. For God's, let's, let's switch it to the word, the word elect. For God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever the elect believes in him, according to the Calvinists, all the elect will believe in him. That would make no sense. But it's really world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now watch. 
how he defines, goes on. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I mean, it's very, very clear that there's whosoever wills. Everybody has an opportunity, but there's those who will not believe. And guess what? They're condemned because they have not accepted God's provision in his son. Then he goes on to define those who reject, who don't will to be saved by the God who so loved them. He gave his son for them. He says, this is the judgment or condemnation, as the King James says, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. And this is amazing. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Okay, the world that he so loved and gave his son for. So it destroys the idea that he only wants the elect, those who come to him to be saved. It also destroys the idea that he only limited his, his salvation, or I should say his provision of Christ to the elect. And he says this, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. This right here shows that the world is the lost world made up of people, many of which will reject Jesus, and they do. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Well, what does it mean he that practices the truth comes to the light? Those who were, remember Jesus said, the Father gives me. Who does he give him? He gives them those who are already in covenant with him, who continue to covenant with him, are given by the Father to Jesus. Those are the Jews that are waiting for Messiah, and they're practicing the truth. They come to the light. That's written in the Jewish context of those who are first coming to Christ. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, what's amazing about this, even Calvin admits that the Lord loves the entire world. When he gives his commentary on John 3.16, Calvin was not a very good Calvinist. Listen to what he says. Calvin says, he used the broad word whoever to invite everyone indiscriminately to share this life and also to leave unbelievers with no excuse. This is the significance of the word world, which is used earlier in the verse. this verse. For although there is nothing in the world which deserves God's favor, God shows he, that he himself is reconciled to the whole world as he invites everyone without any exceptions to have faith in Christ, which is no less than entry into life. That's actually good commentary. Calvin actually did a decent job in his commentaries <laughs> until he gets to some of the scriptures that are, are totally against his system. But this is why many Calvinists will actually argue that Calvin believed in an unlimited atonement and that Jesus loved the whole world without exception because you read that right here and you read that elsewhere. But guess what? You read Calvin, Calvin himself was riddled with co contradictions. That's why you can make him say either thing. But Calvin also writes, quote, Therefore, Christ intends that the benefit of his death should extend to everyone. So people who exclude anyone from that hope of salvation are doing Christ a disservice. Amen. Listen to what Calvin said about <laughs> Calvinists today, that they're doing Christ a disservice. Quite interesting. So Calvin himself wasn't, as I mentioned, a very good Calvinist. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, who's the world he died for? I mean, 2 Peter 2, 1 says that those who were bought by Jesus, the false teachers deny him, who bought, bought them. them yeah. And some Calvin says, well, that doesn't mean he actually really bought them with Christ's blood. That's not what that's talking about. Well, even Calvin himself in his commentaries, I've read it, he admits in his commentary in 2 Peter chapter yeah. 2 yeah, that that he redeemed these, these false teachers. And verse 17 says, they go to the black darkness forever. So he he, he redeemed those. And 2 Peter 3.9, a little bit later, 
God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That included, obviously, Second Peter and, two one. And once again, this is that that old tactic that the Calvinists would use to say that oh, does that say that God failed? But God had a purpose for His death that was accomplished a hundred percent because Absolutely. you can't thwart God. It was to provide salvation for whosoever will, Amen. And to get His bride, whoever would come. But He didn't, by divine fiat, want most people to be damned. Now let's let's try to resolve really in, in a few minutes that we have left or so. How can we reconcile that God loves and He hates? You can love the Love and love and hate at the same time, simultaneously the same thing or the same person, same thing. He hates sin. He doesn't love it at all. But the sinner, he loves and hates, as we've uh, seen in Scripture. In fact, before I go into this, remember Jesus in Luke chapter, I believe it's chapter 6, he talks about how we're supposed to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. Then you know what he tells us? That we're supposed to love our enemies. Why? He goes on to say, so you can be like your Father in heaven mm-hmm. who loves his enemies. He loves his enemies, not just the elect Thus saith the word of God. Okay, how can we reconcile this? Well, guess what? It's it's not, even in our humanness, we can have a love-hate relationship with something. I had lunch today with Eric out from uh, Idaho, right? He's visiting for a little bit, came to the oh, wedding nice. I just did. And uh, and his little boy, six-month-year-old, was there. And Joe Pierre was there. We had a, a nice lunch together. And he gave him a lemon wedge. And his boy had a little six-month-year-old. It's the funniest thing when kids eat, little kids eat lemons, and you put it in their mouth, and they have a love-hate relationship with it. Oh, yeah. They just like, yeah, like, so oh. do I. Oh, they shake, they <laughs> shake, and, and then they open their mouth, and they look like more. They want it more. So there's something they love about it, or something they hate about it. I'm that way with, like, beets. I oh, Beets are repugnant to me ever since I was a little kid, you know? But my wife would bring in sometimes, she did it this week, you know, bring in some beet juice, you know? And guess what? I hate it, but guess what? I love it too because I know there's like vitamin B9, there's vitamin C, you know, there's uh, there's fiber, there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, manganese, you know, which is a metal that's good for your bones. There's all, you know, kinds of wonderful things in it uh, that are really good for you. And I, you know, beets are good for you. So, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll drink it because I love it too. I love what it does for me. Don't like the taste, you know, fixes the keratin. It's a little bit better, you know, it's better. But guess what? I have a love-hate relationship with beets. And... It's just, guess what? It's not the same because we're talking about with God's love and hate. It's very, it's spiritual, right? Well, guess what? God says in the book of Hosea to his people that he says, I led them with cords of kindness, with ropes of love, right? And in Jeremiah, he says, the Lord says he appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. So he loves them with an, un, an everlasting love, amen? But guess what? He also came to hate them. Hosea 9.15 he says, I came to hate them there, speaking of Gilgal, because of the wickedness of their deeds. I drive, I drove them out of my house. So what is this? Which one is it? God, do you hate them or do you love them? Both. He hates what they become in, the, in them embracing idols, in them embracing foreign gods, and embracing demons, which the Bible says are behind these idols. But he loves them and he cares about them incredibly deeply. And, that's the, and you know how I know he not only hates and loves because he expresses it very clearly. He hates what we've become. But he, lo- but he loves us so much, so much more that he sent his son. And that's what you have to understand. Yeah, there's hatred that God has because of sin and what it's done to us and what we've become. But his love is far greater. How do we know this? Because he so loved us that he sent his only begotten son. Because he hates us and we deserve destruction, but he wants to save us from that destruction. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God, rather that he should turn from his ways and live. 
Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32. Cast away from you all your transgressions, which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore repent and live. Brothers and sisters, Yes, he hates what we've become and made of this world and what we've made of ourselves. But he so loved us. He so loves you. You need to know that. He knows every hair on your head, okay? He cares deeply about you, that God became a man and went to the cross and died the most horrible death in your place because he is love. And there's no love like that anywhere you'll ever find because he he is love and love was incarnate. God in Christ Jesus reconciling you through the cross if you but will and answer his call that whosoever will may be saved amen you've been listening to the good fight radio show brought to you by good fight ministries if you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us please consider visiting our patreon page at patreon.com goodfight or you can write to us at p.o box 2202 simi valley california 93062 or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.